today on Ag News Daily. Soybeans have been in an uptrend on their weekly chart and could be nearing a top. So, you know, it's not something I'm going to say these things are technically bearish right now. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell and Ashton Carr. Delaney, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good, Mike. How about you? What are you up to? Not too bad at all. I am not up to a whole lot yet today, but uh, you know, we'll see if things change as we get through the week. Ashton, what are you up to today? I'm not up to a lot, just like you, Mike, just trying to uh, breeze into this slow Monday. I uh, was really upset. My weekend flew by really fast. Oh, yeah. Well, they only get faster as you age, Ashton, so enjoy them while you can. (laughs) Well, that's unfortunately true. Mm -hmm. It does not give me a whole lot of hope, but uh, Mike, what news story? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Isn't the swine industry worth sharing? We have a little uh, extra guest there on the podcast. No, sorry. I I was uh, trying to give sharing permissions to somebody. I've been working on editing the Pig X podcast this morning. Oh, so for anybody who is a swine industry worker, owner, farmer, etc., I've been trying to edit that together. And I was trying to give some sharing permissions to some people to check it out today. Gotcha. Well, folks, check that out. And Delaney, you can find Pig X on the Global Ag Network. Is that right? Absolutely. You sure can. Well, Delaney, what news events are you keeping an eye on here as we start the week? Well, it is a little bit, again, of a slower news day. I'm thinking it's going to be that way for the time being as we are continued to be kind of shut down here during COVID. But here's a story that came out or uh, should have been reported probably middle of last week, but definitely one that continues to impact our crop producers. On Wednesday last week, we saw the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals issued their opinion that will allow extended or continued use of the Enlist Duo product, which is, of course, a Corteva AgriScience herbicide that is considered a Dicamba product. The ruling, of course, comes after the court's decision on June 3rd to vacate registrations of dicamba. And currently, Enlist is now the only one that has been ruled that it can be continued for usage. They said, the court said in their decision that they've decided to keep the registration in place, but they sent back to the EPA that they need to address the evidence that monarch butterflies may be harmed by the destruction of milkweed on target fields. But they said that what there wasn't enough science for them to issue a decision to vacate or continue the vacate of this product. So they are allowing this tool to be continued to be used as of now. And of course, Corteva was very pleased with that decision that they will be able to continue to use dicamba. Yeah, it's interesting that the court was looking so closely at the monarch issue because Roundup also kills milkweed. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I, I don't see what makes this so special about this particular herbicide. I'm not. I Yeah, again, I don't know for sure. That does seem strange. I would agree. But I do know. uh, I think we're dealing with like a monarch butterfly shortage, I want to say, for some reason, too. Yeah, I mean, pollinators, I mean, this has certainly been a concern for some time, the desire to get milkweed back into, you know, rural ditches and perhaps some pastures, encourage their uh, 
they're flourishing again because, yeah, their numbers have been dropping. In fact, I think it was, gosh, it's probably been two years since we had the head of the monarch conservancy on the podcast. And, you know, losing monarchs was an issue you know, mm-hmm. at least two years ago, probably extending back uh, three to five years. Yeah. So you're right. That is a seems like a little bit of a strange issue to be mentioned at that level, considering that there are other issues or other chemicals that um, make that an issue that, you know, make monarch butterfly population an issue. Yeah. Well, Ashley, what other headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, I am looking at this mysterious headline. Mysterious packages of seeds sent from China have been showing up in people's mailboxes all over the country. Kentucky's Commissioner of Agriculture, Ryan Corals, told Brownfield Ag News they're advising people not to open the packages and instead should contact their State Department of Agriculture. He says officials are still unsure why the packages have been sent, but it needs to be taken seriously. And he was quoted as saying, even the smallest risk could have disastrous results. History has taught us several times over being over about big of a mess. Invasive species can be if introduced into an environment, either international intentionally or unintentionally. Coral says the packages have contained a variety of seeds, and there have also been reports that the mailings are labeled as jewelry for customs purposes. He says the packages should be placed in an airtight plastic baggie and under no circumstances be opened, planted, or discarded in the trash. And the mailings appear to be random, and reports have been confirmed in several states. Yes, I am glad you brought this story up because I was unaware of this. I don't know for how long these mailings have been appearing in uh, people's mailboxes, but I was alerted to this earlier today by the Kansas Department of Agriculture and the King's Corn Growers Association. Apparently, several of these packages have been received in Kansas. There were several pictures of packages from post-China, you know, with no return information, just vacuum sealed seed packs inside with unknown seeds. It looks like a variety of seeds. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, listeners, if you are any person who has received these packages of seeds, uh, let us know what you've done. Find us on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at Ag News Daily. Uh, we want to hear from more of you. I mean, this is popping up, as Ashton mentioned, all across the country, and it's weird. So uh, I, I got to ask a question here because I ordered seeds and I'm pretty sure at least one of them came from China or overseas somewhere because I know it took a really long time for me to get them, but I ordered them. So should I be concerned? Great question. I would say as long as they look like what you were expecting, you're probably in good shape. The weird thing about these seeds, at least that I've read in Kansas and sounds similar to the Kentucky issue is these people didn't order any seeds. Hmm. They just showed up, which is bizarre. I want to know how they got the addresses. Right. That's what I was just confusing mm-hmm. to me. Well, everything's online. You know, you I just mean, it is. Yeah, that's up, the scary uh, part. Some random 5,000 people send a bunch of invasive species over in seed packs and hope to disrupt agriculture. Maybe that's what they're up to. I, you know, and I'm, I'm speculating. I, nobody has any idea what the purpose of these things are. That can definitely be a possibility. That might be a little conspiracy theorist, uh, Mike, but, you know. But it's weird as heck to get a an unsolicited package of seeds. I mean, something's going on. Yeah, it is a little strange. Maybe, maybe it's just a new marketing scheme. They're doing direct mail to folks trying to get them to buy this new seed product. 
That's a great theory. And if the seeds were labeled or had a return address or a website where you could go to buy more of these seeds, that would make sense. But these are completely yeah. anonymous. Yeah, I know. I agree. Well, I've got some news while we're talking China. I've got a couple of Chinese stories. Uh, the first relates to the pog, pog, the hog market or pig pork market. Uh, China has announced they are going to sell another 10 thousand tons of frozen pork. This is going to go uh, on the auction block on July 30th. This is on top of the more than 400,000 tons they have sold out this year to try to keep a lid on rising pork prices domestically. Yeah, I think we mentioned that maybe just, you know, last week too, cold storage was down. We're seeing people buy up the meat and China is definitely one of the contenders for that. Right. I mean, they obviously need it. And at some point, even when they get their pork inflation issues under control, either by releasing more pork from storage or buying a ton of pork globally, which we talked about last week, or just their herd recovers from African swine fever, we know the Chinese are going to make an effort to refill their storage reserves. So we can probably expect to see, barring a trade war, uh, more Chinese pork purchases as the year goes on. Well, speaking of the trade war and COVID, we continue to see the administration offer up payments. But the payment I want to talk about here specifically is the CFAP payment. Last week, I want to say, yeah, last week, uh, John Newton, who is, of course, with the American Farm Bureau Federation, tweeted out a little chart that they put together at Farm Bureau looking at CFAP and COVID relief funds that have been paid out to farmers so far. The biggest chunk, about $2.7 billion, has been paid out to cattle producers. This second largest portion is about $1.3 billion paid out to milk producers, followed closely by corn producers at $1.1 billion. And they go on to talk about all these different payments and kind of the percentage of the pie that these folks are taking up. But they also called out the USDA and said that you know, either they're not paying payments out quickly enough, producers aren't signing up, or, you know, a combination of issues. And they really don't think that this $16 billion in CFAP payments are going to get paid out this year to farmers. They said it could be a design issue with the program, people not applying. They don't really know. But one thing is definitely grabbing their attention. And they said it's the rate of payments that should that have been paid out and According to their analysis, we should be much further paid out than where we are right now of that $16 billion. So I'm going to ask you to take a step back, Delaney. Uh, so there have been claims on a lot of that $16 billion, but the claims haven't been filled. Is that the issue or growers haven't yet claimed their share of the $16 billion? I think a little bit of both, honestly. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, folks, get in there. If you can qualify, if you can get a hunk of uh, government cheese, go get it. I think the other question that they're trying to draw here is if the $16 billion doesn't get paid out, what happens to that money? Does it still get allocated to farmers and farm relief programs or does that money just dissolve into thin air? What happens next? I think is their other big question. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't think anybody really does at this point. So. Well, Ashton, you got any other headlines you're keeping an eye on today? I sure don't. Well, I just have one more again talking China. This time it's the Chinese-Brazilian Partnership on Soybeans. It was announced on Sunday from uh, customs numbers out of Brazil that China 
purchased 10.51 million metric tons of soybeans from Brazil in June. Now, that's a huge number, and it's almost double the amount of soybeans that were purchased from Brazil in 2019, which, of course, was the year of the trade war. So despite this thing, you know, allegedly coming to an end with phase one, et cetera, et cetera, China has still purchased uh, about 5 million more metric tons from Brazil than they have from the U.S., and uh, they're not only up 91% from a year ago, they're also up 18.6% from May. So we are definitely seeing China continue to go south of the equator to fill their soybean needs. Now, a function of that, of course, is the value of the real versus the U.S. dollar. And a function of that is probably China working to make sure that they always have another supplier out there if things go south with uh, you know negotiations between President Trump and President Xi. Yeah, they're always plotting and scheming, it seems like, to have somebody in their pocket as a backup. Well, you know, I mean, they went for years and years and years with a great system where they were able to buy during the low season from the U.S., buy from the low season in South America from Brazil, and that worked. And then, you know, President Trump kind of kicked them in the throat, for better or worse. And now they're saying, hey, you know, Brazil might be our go-to. And they're just trying to keep that uh, keep that market a viable option for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of markets, Mike, why don't you take a look and tell us where the commodity markets close for today before our conversation with Darren Newsom? You betcha. As we take a look at the markets today, a quick reminder that our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you want help managing risk on your operation, give them a shout. You can visit their website. It's right in the name at agmarket.net. We've got mixed trade in the grains today. Corn and wheat lower beans actually eked out a green close. In the corn market, September down one and a quarter at 325 even, December down half a cent at 334 and a half. In soybeans, the August was up two cents at 906 and three quarters, November up half a cent to close at 899 and three quarters. Over in the wheat market, September, Chicago down 12 and three quarters cents today, closed at 526 and three quarters, December down 11 and three quarters to close at 533 and a half. Looking over at the livestock markets, live cattle and feeders showed some weakness today. August live cattle contract down 90 cents at 142 half October down $1.2750 to finish at 103.82 and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract dropped $2.70, closed at 139.35. September down even more, dropped $3.12.5 to close at 139.62.50. Lean hogs did find some grain. The August contract up 55 cents at 54.55. October up 60, closed at 50.75. Quick look at the dairy markets over in class three milk today. We had the July coming to an end. It was unchanged on the day at 24.41. The August up 31 cents, closed the day at 22.06. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, as promised, we are chatting with our very good friend, Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today to chat commodity markets. I appreciate you having me on again. A lot to talk about, as always. There certainly is, Darren. There certainly is. And I know you're a technicals guy. You're also a seasonals guy. So I want to ask here, corn and soybeans both. We can start with whatever one you want. But looking at the charts right now, hearing some producers, hearing some other analysts, rumors trickling, that perhaps we've put in kind of our summer rally for corn and soybeans both. Is that what you're seeing here technically and seasonally, Darren? Seasonally, this is the time of year we do move down. 
I mean, we get past mid-July and markets, particularly corn and soybeans, have to have a reason to rally. Um, you know, if we look at the technicals for both corn and soybeans, corn still looks to be in an uptrend on its weekly chart. Soybeans have been in an uptrend on their weekly chart and could be nearing a top. So, you know, it's not something I'm going to say these things are technically bearish right now, uh, but they could certainly, but soybeans could soon be technically bearish and corn just looks like it still has some room to run. The problem is it's corn and getting it to do anything is, is really a trick. It is. Now, Darren, let's talk soybeans in a little more detail. You mentioned uh, from a tactical perspective, you are watching for a top. Can you give our listeners some price points? What are you watching for a top? Where should folks look to get some sales uh, Some sales on? You know, the first thing that I see is if we go back to early July, we have what, what I call a spike bearish reversal, which looked to be the end of the secondary uptrend. So that, that had a high that week, July 6th, the week of July 6th of about 9, 12 and a half. Since then, last week, we got to uh, climb back to a high of 903 and three quarter. Today, we've had a same high of 903 and three quarter. You know, so this 903 to 907 uh, certainly looks like you know, if you don't have any sales on the books, you know, it might not be a bad area to get something on. We've got weekly stochastics have climbed over 80 percent. And what that means in, in, you know, in non-technical terms is the market looks to be overbought. We always have to keep in mind a market can be overbought or oversold a lot longer than we can stay solvent. So, you know, we have to keep that in mind. But, you know, right now it is looking like it's it's building a potential top unless for some reason it blows out that July that week of July six high. Darren, I want to talk corn for a second because you mentioned that corn needs something here to push us one direction or the other. But the other thing, you know, you're a basis guy. You watch basis pretty closely. The other thing I hear from a lot of farmers is on the board, it might have looked good. But basis wise, there just was not a good opportunity here during the summer to make some cash sales. What would you be advising for farmers to do if they're looking at their 2020 crop and thinking, oh, shoot, I haven't sold anything or I haven't sold enough? You know, I've heard I've heard both sides of the base basis argument. One, you know, it, it wasn't you know, it wasn't as strong as what they had, they were hoping for, because, you know, we've seen pretty solid basis uh, for most of 2019, 20 uh, in the old crop corn market. So the hope was, you know, we could carry that over and into the 2020, 21. There's just no reason right now for, for basis to be stronger. So, you know, we've got December corn up, uh, basically just sitting flat, sitting in that 333, 335 range right now, not really wanting to do much of anything. Uh, you know, if you have some hedges in place, and you're concerned that the, you know, you're thinking that, okay, the futures, let's say the futures market rallies and basis starts to weaken. So you just lock it in, uh, and, and just, and just, you know, just price everything out at this point, or at least what you have on the books at this point. If you're just looking to lock in some basis, you might want to give it some time. Um, you know, let's see what happens in here. We're going to move sideways for a while and let's see what happens. Let's see if, you know, as we get, further, you know, the next couple months under our belt. And then we see that, okay, we don't have the ending stocks that everybody's talking about. You know, maybe we see new crop bases start to firm again. 
It's going to be tough. We've already got some harvest going on in the far southern plains. Uh, so we've got some new crop bushels coming into the pipeline. And anytime you see that, it just makes it hard for basis to rally. Well, Darren, I want to ask you about a fundamental issue, and this is something we've talked about on the podcast with you in the past, and this is China. It was reported, I believe it was last night or Sunday night at the open, Dalian corn futures hit a five-year high. We continue to see prices in that country skyrocket. They've been placing lots of orders for new crop and a few smattering smaller orders for old crop corn deliveries. What's your thoughts? I mean, can you put that Chinese... It's high price corn in perspective for an American corn producer. Does it matter? It matters. You know, I, I don't really base anything off the Dalian price. You know, really the, the international price of corn starts with the Chicago futures and everything's priced off of that. You just have your basis to adjust to. Um, I had a question asked to me from a, from a friend earlier today, and he was wondering if the, uh, if the flood situation over in China has anything to do with, with our grains. And, you know, let's look at the spreads, you know, for, for corn, you know, still neutral to bullish. Soybeans are bullish. Wheat, Chicago wheat is bullish. You know, so I think there is some play out there from the, the floods that we're seeing in China. I think they do probably need some grain, uh, from, from the rest of the world and where else to go except the United States. You know, so there is a chance that we could make some sales, particularly in things other than soybeans. That gets too much, but they, you know, we're on a string of 10 days in a row there. But I do think China is, is, is having, is buying in the market right now. The dollar is crashing. Why wouldn't the biggest buyer in the world be buying from the United States? Well, I don't know. Why, why wouldn't they be, Darren? Is there a counter to that? Yeah, we, we do have this, you know, this little spat going on that seems to be getting worse every day. But, you know, politics are politics, business is business, and people still need to eat. And uh, that's something very important for regimes to remember is that they have to continue to feed their populace. And with, you know, the, the business side of it is the dollar continues to collapse. We continue to create so many uh, we're just flooding the market with dollars right now. There's no way that, you know, there's, there's just no buyers out there for the dollar. So it continues to fall. Uh, and it makes U.S. goods look that much more attractive. We had a nice round of inspections, uh, weekly inspections for soybeans and wheat again Monday morning. Uh, corn is sluggish. So, you know, I do think China is at play. I do think, I do think they are doing some buying, some secondary buying. We're not their main provider anymore, but I do think they're in the market. So. You mentioned the exports of American wheat heading over to China. I mean, it's been a minute since American wheat was really competitive on the global stage. Darren, we've seen a lot of volatility in the Chicago contract. Mm -hmm. What's your overall take on the wheat market? The wheat market's fascinating because if we look at the spreads of the Chicago market, there's very little carry. It's it's indicating it's a very bullish situation, but you flip the coin, or excuse me, you you look at the other side of it and you look at Kansas City, which is – uh, the hard red winter which market, which is the largest class the U.S. grows, we've got ex- we've got bearish uh, future spreads. So I, it's hard to ever be bullish wheat, but I do like the way the Chicago market is set up right now, at least from uh, future spreads forward curve situation. Uh, I do think it's indicating that we've got some demand out there. How long will it stay? Who knows? Uh, but right now it looks pretty good, and and if the Chicago market can can move and can rally it might provide some support to both Kansas City and Minneapolis. 
How much support are we talking, Darren? Not much, because again, we're still talking. I mean, it's not like we're talking about the world's going to run out of wheat. Uh, And, you know, so, I mean, even here in the United States, again, if we look at the Kansas City market, it's indicating we've got lots of, you know, we're we're going to have ample 2020-21 ending stocks. So, you know, it's, it's nothing dramatic. It's nothing severe. If we can see continued demand for U.S. supplies, it's going to give us a bit of a bump. Chicago is going to lead the way. Hopefully, Kansas City can follow a little bit. Minneapolis will probably be out on its own because, again, it's spring wheat versus the winter markets. And it's it's looking at the weather right now across northern plains, just kind of hanging in there. Well, Darren, speaking of weather, we have had a hot spell come across the uh, the northern Corn Belt, as it does just about every year this time, it seems. Like summer, it's almost hotter yeah, uh, in the Corn Belt. It's almost like it's summer out. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I was wondering, We've we saw a bit of a sell-off today in both live and feeder cattle futures. I wondered if we just had some folks hunkering down inside. We're not getting out, uh, getting some beef bought. We're a little concerned about COVID spreading. What's your take on the beef markets here? You know, the live cattle have been interesting for the last couple of weeks because the basis just got blown up. I mean, the basis weakened considerably over the last two weeks. So I thought we might see some more pressure on the August contract, which is getting close to just being tied to to the cash market. And we haven't really seen it. Uh, and then I was looking for some overall commercial selling. And, and we have seen some of that the last couple of sessions where we've seen nearby contracts start to lose to deferred, except for that August contract. So basically focusing on the October, December, and it's running right around the five-year low. So this is telling me that long-term, or at least intermediate term, we're still looking at some problems. We're still looking at a bearish line demand situation. We're looking past the end of grilling season this time around. Still looks to be like there's going to be plenty of cattle, plenty of beef out there. Could start to put some pressure on the market again. And Darren, rounding out our conversation with the lean hog market, we talked last week a little bit here on the podcast about the cold storage reports. We're hearing echoes that China is purchasing from the United States, purchasing some hogs for their reserves. Yet you look at the charts and they're sitting with the August at a premium to the deferred contracts. What is your take on that? You know, when I see a market like August sitting at 54, 55, you know, it's different than grains. What we have to do is we have to measure this as it relates to that spread historically. So what we want to do is we want to look at the August, October. How does it normally act? How does it normally trade? Is the fact that it's, you know, that that we've got the August over the October that much different than normal? I could still see us, you know, having a bit of pressure, commercial pressure, supply and demand bearish. This is what I'm trying to say in the hog market, but it's been doing well. You know, then we did see the cold storage course. That was for, you know, what, last month or whatever it was. Uh, it did show that we were, we didn't have that much uh, pork in storage. Still, there's not a lot out there right now. Future spreads have been getting a little less bearish. So that's been bringing some support in. We just need to see it long term. We need to see the cash market stay strong. We need to see those spreads continue to firm. Well, Darren, we have trusted your analysis for years here on the podcast. Of course, folks around the country have. But if listeners are new to Darren Newsom and they want to learn more about your thought process, where can they go to do such a thing? 
Well, to learn about my thought process, just keep banging your head on a wall till you go slightly insane. <laughs> Sip a little bourbon. <laughs> yeah, and while, all while sipping some bourbon. You get my thought process down pretty well. But if you want to see what I'm thinking and if you want to read what I'm saying and, and looking at you know, so on, go to DarrenNewsom.com. Uh, it's the easiest place to find me. You can see all, you know, sign up for the seven-day free trial. You can see all my writing, all my analysis. Uh and see all the different stuff, all the different things that we're talking about. The easiest place to go is just DarrenNewsom.com. Fantastic. Folks, check that out. Darren, as always, we appreciate our discussions with you. Thanks again for having me on. Well, again, a big thank you there to Darren of Darren Newsom Analysis. Always great to have him on and get his thoughts. But as he mentioned there at the end of the podcast, you can always find him on social media. You can also find us on social media, which if you're not following us, you should be at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.